Welcome to the Hannah Miller Show. And here she is, Hannah Miller. Spokenly conservative and unashamedly Christian. This is Hannah Miller, and this is what happened this week. So, first of all, our first story today is going to be coming from here in South Carolina. And then the second story that we're going to cover is nationwide. And uh, so let's let's go right to, we'll start here in South Carolina, and then we'll move outward. And so the first thing, I'm pretty fired up about this. Um, I'm going to try to rein it in <laughs> for the benefit of you guys, um, but I'll, I'll set the stage. So if you have been paying attention here in South Carolina, and you may not have heard anything about it until maybe even just this last week or the last few days, you may not have even heard anything about it yet, but there are rumblings and there is a parent disunity in the Republican Party here in South Carolina. And the reason being is for something that my representative calls the incumbent protection pledge. So let me back up a little bit. After each election, there's a set of rules for each caucus is drafted by a committee. And, and these rules, they can cover a wide variety of things, okay? It can be things as simple as, you know, that you can't wear flip-flops on the house floor. It could be something like you've got to wear, ja- you know, jackets are required. And, and then there's things that are more serious, but still relatively common sense items, such as keeping caucus meetings confidential and not sharing discussions had in those strategy meetings with opposition or media outlets. And that's kind of, you know, that concept. Um, well, I'll, I'll get to that in just a second. The idea of an agreement or an oath to join caucus, um, you know, I think it was, it's, um, Corey Allen over at the Overton Report here in South Carolina, he he did a great job summing it up and just saying, look, that is as old as our founding fathers agreeing to keep their meetings a secret so the Redcoats didn't find out what they were discussing. That's a that's an old thing. We've been doing that forever. It's a relatively common sense, you know, the idea of signing a pledge to keep caucus meetings secret from media and opposition. You know, that's not an inherently bad idea. On its face, and I see the purpose of that. That some things need to be, you know, we we don't want to net let uh, the opposition know what our play is. You know, we understand that concept. We all get that, but there is a problem with one rule in particular, and and there's a little bit of a of a problem with with that rule in so far as in this hiding things because it does give a vibe sometimes that we're we're trying to hide things and we all understand that at times we need to be careful about what we let out and we don't want to let our play be known too early um, but we also have, you know, there's something called the voter board and the voter board is where after all the, you know, all the house representatives, they cast their votes. You can see up on the voter board who voted yay, who voted nay, and pictures of that are often taken and posted on social media and that kind of thing. There's opposition to even that happening. And that kind of thing. And I have a real problem with representatives who don't even want their in-the-moment voting record 
to be made public? What do you have to hide about the way that you're voting? I mean, I get it when you're behind closed doors and you're, ha- you know, you're having a strategy meeting about things politically. Like, I get that you don't want all of that broadcast all over the place. Um, but when you're voting and your vote is up on the board, that's something that your constituents deserve to see how you finally cast your vote in representation of them. And the fact that some of these guys and gals would have issue with that. So anyway, that brings us to a kind of, there is one part of this oath though, that, you know, signing this pledge um, is what, you know, they're asking everybody to sign this year as the session got started. And there's a group called the Freedom Caucus, and there are some men and women within the Freedom Caucus, and I don't know how many, there's not been released exactly who uh, or and how many within the Freedom Caucus who have a major problem with what I just pointed out, and then in, pati- in particular, what is causing many to call this pledge a loyalty oath, and and that's the name that's kind of getting bandied about in the media is the loyalty oath. But my representative Josiah Magnuson, he he more aptly described it as an incumbent protection pledge. And so, what particular rule is this? Well, the rule in question is as follows: quote No member of the caucus shall engage in campaign activities of any kind against any other caucus member in good standing. End quote. What does that mean? Well, therein lies the problem. It's quite vague, and the term campaign activities could be applied to activities such as posting a photo of the publicly available vote board which shows, like I've said, how each member of the chamber voted on a certain bill. And that could easily be considered campaign or active campaigning against those who may have voted against conservative values or principles, depending on the bill in question. So let me give you an example. Let's just say that you have a pro-life bill that's you know being voted on, and you have uh, someone who claims to be a Republican and they vote against the pro-life bill, even though their constituents sent them there to vote in favor of pro-life legislation. He votes against it. And somebody else who's a Republican and part of the same caucus says, wait a minute, and or maybe they even just take a picture of the vote board because they're wanting to be transparent with their own constituents. And that could be seen as being actively campaigning against that caucus member who didn't vote for the pro-life bill. You see how sticky this could get for somebody? And, and furthermore, why shouldn't somebody be allowed to, for that same example, if a Republican who was sent there to vote for something for a pro-life bill by his constituents doesn't vote, other Republicans in the caucus should look at that guy and say, hey, you're betraying your base. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to support somebody else running against you, primarying you, because you are not doing what's right by the constituents that sent you. I have no problem with that. As a matter of fact, I would actually appreciate that for these men and women who are standing by what they actually said they were going to do. They vote fairly. I would appreciate, and I do appreciate it when those guys come out and say, hey, I endorse this candidate or that candidate, etc. 
So Corey Allen said, and I'm going to quote him here. He said, I believe the majority of those who signed it did so in good faith. I also believe that those who refused to sign it did so in good faith. What I think is evident is that the committee that put this rule into the oath were not acting in good faith and had their own ideas of how to protect their own power structure. That is my issue with this entire situation, and that is something I am not interested in letting go, end quote. And th- that is that really encapsulates it. What all of this is, you know, I, I don't want to, I know good men and women who are on both sides of this, you know, f- folks who signed it, and they didn't think anything of it, and they just want to get to work. And then there are those who I know that are good men and women who are saying, no, wait a minute, we really want this to be specified. And that's the thing, They're, they have just, I, and I've talked talk to some of them. They have just said, look, we just want this. What does, what do you mean by active campaigning? What, what does that look like? We would like some specifics regarding that. And they've not been given any specifics and actually it's been refused. And now the entire caucus is banning those men and women who refuse to sign this pledge from being a part of caucus meetings. And as a matter of fact, there was a meeting this week, and it was at the Piedmont Club, and all of the caucus members arrived, and the men and women who did not sign the pledge, or have not signed it yet, were disallowed from entering the meeting room. As a matter of fact, Davy Hyatt physically stood in the doorway and would not allow the men and women who had not signed this thing into the room. And I find that to be appalling. And I find it to be very disingenuous and a real, you know, I, what is the problem with being transparent? If you don't have anything to hide, if you're not concerned about keeping power, what, what what is the problem with saying yeah let's we, we can clarify that for you we don't that's not a problem or what's the problem with you know because some of them came down on the floor this week debating about this whole vote board thing and angry that freedom caucus members and others were taking pictures of the vote board and putting it on social media what's the problem with transparency i just I ha- I have a real issue with anyone who would push back against that because I cannot see in any way that that is honest or right to not want constituents to see how our representatives vote. Can somebody explain to me how that is in any way a honest, trustworthy, transparent right way to be thinking and operating to want to hide because that's what they want they want they want to hide they want to conceal they, they don't want people to know and i don't think you know when it's all all said and done you know i'm not talking about the the meetings on how we want to play this thing because i understand that some of that I'm talking about when you finally cast your vote and this is how you've done it why don't you want the people to see that so i just think that simply rewriting the rule to be more specific, or leaving the rule out altogether, I think that's an easy and acceptable solution. And that would end the bickering and allow for a reunification of the Republican supermajority. But you know, 
Again, you know, I know that there's a lot of work that they got to do, but this is very reminiscent of what happened in Congress just a couple weeks ago. And I really don't have a problem. If, if they don't, if, if nobody gets anything done, but I have a real problem with Freedom Caucus members being ostracized and not allowed. And one more thing, by the way, so you can pay $5,000. There's always a fee to put, to be in a caucus, okay? And it's usually a couple hundred bucks or, you know, n- nothing major. But you can pay a lifetime fee to be a member of the Republican caucus and have access to all of the meetings. There, what that means is if you ran for office and became a representative in 1998 and you were in office for just one, you know, one cycle and then you didn't run again, but you paid $5,000 to be in the Republican caucus, that means that 25 years later, you could still get into that meeting even without signing this pledge, you don't have to sign this pledge, but you could get into that meeting where even if you're not currently serving in the House of Representatives, but at the same time, you have men and women who are a part of the Freedom Caucus who have refused to sign this pledge who are being denied entry. Now, and I, and I do think there's some of them who might have paid the $5,000 lifetime Republican caucus and they've been denied entry. But just tell me, so in that way they're fair, but just tell me, how is it in any way a good idea for us to have people who pay a certain amount of money and then have access for forever? And I know that there are two people in particular that I heard their names tonight who still who are lifetime members who still go to those meetings who have not signed this pledge but are freely allowed into those meetings because they paid their $5,000 years and years ago and one of them owns a lobbyist company that is what he does and he gets into these meetings now you tell me if that sounds like it's in the interest of we the people to be allowing somebody who owns a lobbyist company into the strategy meetings for the Republican caucus, but yet not Freedom Caucus members. So, yes, if this is something that concerns you, you need to be reaching out to your Republican House member and letting them know that you think this is not the way to be treating the members, the caucus members who would not sign this paper and that there needs to be clarification in the wording of this pledge, this oath, whatever. You need to let them know that. You need to back these men and women up who are calling for more transparency because that's the bottom line for these folks is they just want transparency from the Republican Party on behalf of you and me. And I will applaud and stand behind anybody all day long who wants to do that for you and me, especially here in South Carolina, because there's a lot of corruption in in Columbia. And there's a lot of good old boy politics going on over there. And this will help put a stop to it. Getting rid of this kind of thing. And I appreciate men and women who are willing to stand up for it. Because my goodness, to not, to say you cannot support a candidate who would primary a Republican who has major issues. I just, wow. 
Wow. Yeah. You know, Josiah is right. This is the incumbent protection pledge. That's exactly what this is. All right, let's get to our next story. This is Bob, the producer of The Hannah Miller Show. Hannah and I would like to thank you for subscribing, favoriting, sharing, liking, and everything else you can do for a podcast that makes this podcast so successful. As you probably know, Hannah and I are both based out of South Carolina. I want to tell you about another podcast I think you'll find very enjoyable and educational. It's called South Carolina Politics. The topics on this show range from county council and school board all the way up to the governor. Interviews, opinions, discussions, updates, and a lot more. So check it out wherever you find your podcasts. It's called South Carolina Politics. Okay, back from the break. And the next thing I, really quick though, I do want to say, I want to give props where props are due. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, very positive development. He has so far kept his promise to appoint Freedom Caucus members, including those who oppose his candidacy for Speaker, to key committee seats. And I'm not going to go through the whole list because there's quite a few, but let's just say that it's he has really stuck to that. And I'm very, very grateful. And this is the kind of thing that happens. You can put key people in positions of power to do what we the people want to do when folks stand up and actually cause a debate to happen. And I'm very grateful for those in Washington, D.C. who did that the last few weeks and have held held Kevin McCarthy's feet to the fire because I think the results are going to be um, we're going to have it's we're going to have the possibility of having um, a lot of positions filled by really good folks who believe in a lot of the same things that you and I believe in in positions of that are just that are important in a lot of these committees and so it'll be effectively a lot of these are going to be effectively controlled by the freedom caucus and and that's a very wise allocation of strength under circumstances where uh, i think who, who was it that um Steve Steve Bonta at the New American. He uh, to quote him, he said, "It's a very wise allocation of strength under circumstances where passing good positive legislation will be next to impossible, just because of how things are set up right now." So, anyway, just appreciate that. And 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 to his credit, McCarthy has so far he he has been very upbeat about this. He I think uh, I think Bonta's words were, "He's been a cheerful warrior." Willing to keep his word despite the often bitter back and forth that characterized the nomination and election process. So kudos to that guy uh, for doing that. All right, so we have discussed. Moving on to the main story that I wanted to talk in this part, uh, talk about this part of the show. We have discussed in the past the whole the the drag queen story hour movement that has really swept through the United States. And I want to bring to your attention this week, Pastor Story Hour. You may have heard about this happening in various locations in recent months. Well, it's something of a movement, and it's being led by two pastors, Dale Partridge and Michael Foster. And I want to read to you some of the things that Dale Partridge and Michael Foster had to say about what prompted them to start doing this. Because when I read it, I was very convicted, I guess, And I think it will do the same for a lot of my listeners. So from Dale Partridge, he said, 
Why are drag queens seemingly more interested in influencing the children in their community than pastors? Start Starting off strong, I know. <laughs> uh, he continued, Why are the lost more committed to the systemic and cultural evangelization of the public than American Christians are to evangelizing the gospel? This is from an interview that he had in, with the Daily Wire. And then he said, These are hard questions the church needs to face. Christians need to see that Christianity is a totalizing faith, which means Christ should not be reserved only for church life, but should saturate and permeate our entire lives. Then he added, historically, Christian fathers took up the mantle of child discipleship. Fathers and mothers are to raise their children to understand what the Bible says about God, man, Christ, and the church. Unfortunately, the vast majority of Christian men have abdicated this role, leaving children vulnerable to the influence and lies of the culture. Namely, fathers don't realize that if they don't teach their children who they are, the world will. And then Pastor Michael Foster, the other pastor leading this, he was also in an interview with the Daily Wire, and he made the comment that the librarians, that when they did their pastor story hour, they were hospitable. And he said, and then he said this, we are a fatherless nation, and nature abhors a vacuum. Someone is going to fill that space in our nation. I can, I can let it be some disturbed men in lingerie, or it can be a pastor like me. So I stepped up. Men, especially pastors, are called to be community leaders. Talk is cheap. I got a room, set a date, and made a Facebook event. It was easy. End quote. We do a lot of talking about Drag Queen Story Hour, and the church gets really fired up about it. And Teddy Roosevelt said, Complaining without, about a problem without posing a solution is called whining. We have at least a bit of a solution here that these pastors have provided. And I suggest that you approach your church leadership about spearheading an event such as this. Make it a monthly thing. Doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be every week. But make it something of a regular event at your local library. It doesn't necessarily have to be pastoral-led, but preferably a man. I do think it would be appealing for it to be a man. And it doesn't have to be books about gender. There, there's plenty of good literature out there for this kind of event that would be good and beautiful for children to hear. And, and, and children and families have been overwhelmingly positive about these events that have happened across the nation, attending the libraries and attending these kinds of things. If you need suggestions on literature, email me. Reach out on Facebook or Instagram. I can give some suggestions. But I'll just end the show with this. we got to stop complaining and do something. And these pastors, they did something. And, you know, it will probably end up being a, a little something that's more powerful than most of us would have ever thought. Just to read a book to a child and be a person that is of good moral standing and has strong character and a loving nature and is kind. Those things are important to children. And they say that reading books to children is one of the most important things that you can do. I read to my children every day. 
multiple times a day, as a matter of fact. It's a part of our homeschool. And I cannot overemphasize to you how important it is to read to children. And I can see the impact that a pastor story hour or just a church leadership, just somebody, a leader from your, from your church going and reading to children, the impact that that can have on children. It's quite powerful. So I'd encourage you to spearhead something like that in your community, in your church. Do something. It, it's not hard. Pick a book, get a room, set a date, make a Facebook event, show up. Hope you have a great weekend. Talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to The Hannah Miller Show. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Productions. If you'd like to find out more about Hannah or to schedule her for a speaking event, go to her website, thehannamillershow.com.